Well, good morning, and I'm glad to have you with us this special one service Sunday for Palm Sunday. And I want to introduce myself as uh, Brian Robertson. I'm the lead pastor here, for those who may not know, and I'm very grateful to have you. If this is your first Sunday worshiping with us, I want to extend a special welcome to you. Very glad to have you worshiping alongside us. We have a gift for you. We've got a lot going on today. Uh, We'll have an egg hunt afterwards. The weather didn't quite cooperate with us, so we're going to kind of make do and we'll do stuff inside today Uh, but we'll do an egg hunt later on we'll have uh, a cookout with some hot dogs and chips and cookies and hopefully you have some time to spend with us Um, so there's a lot going on but this is your first Sunday worshiping with us I want to extend a special welcome to you we do have a gift for you it's out in the welcome area as you kind of in the lobby there's a wooden floor area that says welcome and connect and so you can meet some people there and get to know them a little bit we'd love to get to know you a little bit um, so very grateful to have you. Uh, all of us, there's an attendance pad somewhere in your row there. And if you wouldn't mind grabbing that and filling it out, pass it down your row. Uh, just one way we can stay connected with you. Uh, if this is your first Sunday, again, want to welcome you and, and just feel what, whatever you're comfortable filling out in that attendance pad. Just one way we can reach out to you, let you know the various things that are happening here at the church, let you know the things that are happening so you may plug in in, in one way or another. But we are finishing this series, this teaching series that we've been on over the season of Lent leading up to Easter and this being Palm Sunday right up into Passion Week, the week prior to the, uh, to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this morning we're, we're concluding the series that we're called Survival Guide for the Soul. We're following the book from Ken Shigematsu by the same title, Survival Guide for the Soul, having a soul or a, uh, how to have a soul to flourish in a culture that pressures us to achieve all the time. And it's tempting, as we've been talking this last couple of weeks, it's very tempting for us to have our value or our worth to fill our soul by what we have, by what we do, or by what other people say about us. But when we pursue those things in an unhealthy way, when we pursue material things or what other people might say about us or what our reputation might be or how many people might see us or those other aspects, then we can have a, a lack of contentment in our soul. Our soul is always restless, longing for more, and so our culture says to achieve more, that'll satisfy your soul, and so we just go after more things, or we go after more titles, or we go after more academics, or more, more achievements, and yet all along our souls are shrinking, and our souls are not content with what the Lord has given us. But the life that Jesus comes to offer us, the gospel, the good news of life in God's kingdom is not a life lacking content, is not a life where we're just kind of making do, it's not a life where things are just kind of like so-so. It's a life of abundance. It's a life of abiding peace and lasting joy and it's a fulfillment kind of life. Not fulfillment because we've, quote, made it. Not fulfillment because all of our needs are all taken care of. Not fulfillment because all of what we want is taken care of. But fulfillment because we are learning to rest in the almighty goodness of God himself. And we're learning to, learn, we're learning to live our life content with what God has given us. Content with the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the life that he has come to offer us. That's the good life that our soul desperately wants. That's the good life. Listen to what the, the Apostle Paul writes to his friends in Philippi in Philippians chapter 4. He says, I know what, is, what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. 
But I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I was well-fed or I was hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here's a secret. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. The secret to all of contentment and a life that is satisfied and a good, pleasing, abundant life is learning to live my life in Him who gives me strength. Where my soul is full because I'm resting in the goodness of of Jesus. The secret to contentment, to a good, satisfied life, is not having everything taken care of. It's not found in having all of my achievements done. It's not found in having all the various boxes checked off on my list where I can keep on moving. But it's found when our souls are filled by God. When our souls are filled by God. I hope you desire that this morning. Wherever you are in your spiritual life, I hope that you desire to have a soul that is filled and that you will learn that this filling of your soul only comes by God himself this morning we're concluding the series with a where Shigematsu ends his book as well with this understanding of redefining greatness redefining greatness so as we get started let me pray for us and we'll get moving Jesus, we need you. We recognize that we run on empty. We recognize that our souls are striving for attention. And so often we give in to the temptation that our greatness, our, our fame, our power, our value will come from the externals. But we need you. Our souls need you. And I pray that as we consider finally this last part of this series, I pray that you would infuse us, give us rest, give us clarity to understand how you see greatness and courage to walk in that way. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, as Pastor Jason and Lee had already mentioned, is known historically as Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday that Jesus uh, rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and he, uh, it's the week prior to his death and resurrection. On, 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 or on uh, Palm Sunday is the Sunday when people are celebrating, and they're announcing that Jesus is this Messiah, this person that they had come to anticipate. And then on Thursday, the same crowd turns on Jesus and or Thursday night Friday they turn on Jesus and on Thursday and this coming Thursday is known as Maundy Thursday and we'll celebrate the Lord's table and the way in which Jesus sacrificially served his disciples there and initiating the Lord's table and on Friday we call Good Friday it's we call it Good Friday because Jesus died for our sin he takes upon himself the sins of the world and he nails it to the cross and he dies one sacrificial death for all of us so it is good and of course next Sunday is Easter where we remember that the grave could not contain Jesus, that the grave is not still there, that Jesus is not still dead, that he has indeed risen, he has risen indeed, and that he currently reigns and rules as king over this universe, that he's victorious over the grave, over sin, over death, and all that has broken us. But today is Palm Sunday. Today is the day when we remember when Jesus comes in and he's riding and people are waving the palm branches and people are shouting Hosanna and people are celebrating in the streets. They're dancing, they're singing, they're, they're just all exuberant about who Jesus is. Listen now, Matthew records this 
event about Palm Sunday, Matthew chapter 21, verses 6 through 11. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now here's what I want us to concentrate on this morning. In the midst of the shouts and in the midst of the acclamation and in the midst of the praise and in the midst of people waving their palm branches and playing their, laying their cloaks out before Jesus in the midst of all the, the, the adoration and the acclamation and everything going on, in the midst of all that, Jesus doesn't place his def- defined value in the praise of other people. Jesus doesn't look to these praise and all the things that's going around him to define his value. In fact, he actually upends and and he flips on its head our assumptions about what makes somebody great. He redefines greatness. In this situation and on his whole life, he redefines what it means to be really, truly great. And Jesus comes riding in on on a donkey on this Palm Sunday and that's all these shouts of acclamation. It's clear to him, uh, from him in his whole life, that these shouts are not his motivation. This is not why he has come. He's not come to be famous in the way in which we think about famous. He's not come to be just shout for acclamation for everything else. He's come for another reason, for another purpose. Our culture doesn't understand this very well because we give awards and acclamation to anybody and everybody. And we think fame means you get your name put on a wall. We have halls of fame for our athletes. We have academic halls of fame. Professional wrestling even has a hall of fame, which, go figure, it's craziness. We define greatness by putting your name up on a wall and everyone knows who you are. And when you walk into a a room, when you walk into a place, everyone knows who your face is. Everyone knows who that person is and they're famous because everyone can see who they are. But that's not what drives Jesus. That's not how Jesus defines greatness. When we see Jesus all through his life, we're told that he often heals people and then he tells them not to tell anybody who healed them. Just go. We're told that he doesn't do anything on his own authority, but he only does what the Father is doing. He says, I'm not come to do whatever I want to do. I'm only doing what I see the Father doing, and I join in with him there. He never travels more than just a few miles away from his hometown. He doesn't go on the speaking circuit. He doesn't hit the road and start going around so everyone will know who he is. He quietly and kind of obscurely demonstrates the kingdom of God. And while people on this Palm Sunday are shouting for Jesus, his definition of greatness is not found in bringing glory to himself, but is only found by bringing glory and giving glory to God the Father. Jesus says often, he says, I have not come to bring glory for myself, but to demonstrate the Father that you would know him. That you would know him. See, we define greatness by fame and recognition, but Jesus defines greatness by sacrificial love humility not staying in the spotlight but almost living in obscurity on the sidelines quietly over there being faithful to the things of god 
And my prayer for us this morning as we conclude this series, as we finish up this understanding of having a soul that is surviving, is that we would be people who redefine greatness. That we wouldn't succumb to the cultural norms of that, fa- that fame and popularity and having our name placed up on a plaque somewhere that that equates greatness, but we would take upon the greatness that Jesus defines of obscurity of sacrificial love, of humility, of not needing the spotlight for myself, but using my area of influence to point people to Jesus and to point people to God the Father. My prayer is that we would redefine greatness in such a way that we would, or we would act in humility and we would act with sacrificial love, that we would learn to do the right thing when no one is looking. Perhaps especially when no one is looking. And when you can't get the credit for it. And when no one will know that we redefine greatness. Shigematsu in his book quotes one of my favorite authors and actually one of my favorite books of all time. C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. And if you have not read this book, I highly recommend you get it. I got a couple extra copies, so if you want one, I'll give one to you. I only have a couple, so you can't have all of them, right? But in The Great Divorce is a mythical or it's a fictional story about a, the main character who is allowed to take a visit, a bus ride, as it were, to heaven and explore what heaven would be like. And on his journey, he meets some very interesting people. Some interesting things are happening up there. And in the part that Shigematsu quotes, he, he writes this, Lewis writes this in his book, Great Divorce, says this. Turning to his guide, he whispers, Is it... In other words, was she, was, was she featured in People as one of the 50 most beautiful people in the world? The guide says, well, she's someone you've never heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith, and she lived at Golders Green. She seems to be, well, a person of great importance. Aye, she is. Maybe he's whatever that culture is. What is that? Scottish? Irish? Aye, maybe she is. You know, I don't know. Pirate or something? I don't know. I mean, they speak a different language in heaven, I guess, you know? It's fictional. We don't know. All right, anyway, back to the story. This is my favorite book, by the way. Sorry. All right. I should know where she comes from. But, all right, anyway, focus in here. She is. But fame on earth and fame in heaven are two very different things. And who are these boys and girls that are dancing and throwing flowers before her? They are her sons and daughters. She had many children. She had no children of her own. Every boy that met her became her son, even if it was only the boy that brought her meat at the back door. Every girl that met her was her daughter. Wasn't that a little hard on her own parents? No, there are those that steal other people's children, but her love was a different kind. Those on whom it fell went back to their natural parents, loving them more. Now the abundance of life she has in Christ flows over into all creation. See, what Lewis is saying here is exactly what Jesus says. The fame on earth and fame in heaven are two very different things. Fame on earth and fame in heaven are two very different things. Very different. I wonder if you could identify just an ordinary person who embodies heavenly greatness. Not because of their fame. 
Not because everyone knows who they are. Maybe they would never be recognized by anyone else. But they lived for the glory and the honor of God obscurely, quietly, never recognized. I wonder if you could identify someone with kingdom greatness. Because fame on earth and fame in heaven are two very different things. So who do you know that exemplifies that? Who do you know? Jesus tells us that we are to be people that are seeking the kind of fame that is and the kind of greatness that echoes into eternity. Not that is temporal, that goes here and is gone here in a minute. But the kind of fame, the kind of greatness that echoes into eternity. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. For if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. See what Jesus is addressing here? And what I think Lewis is getting at and Shigematsu is getting at? Is what some people call an approval addiction. Approval addiction. Making sure everyone sees what a great person I am. Making sure everyone knows what a great person I am. All the various things that I've done. Make sure I have all of my awards and my trophies and my accolades and everything in front of people so when they come in they can see all the various things that I've done because I need their approval. What people might say, an approval addiction. But can I remind you that fame on earth and fame in heaven are two very different things. Very different things. See, the problem with approval addiction, of course, like every addiction, is never enough. It's never enough. When I was preparing for this this week, I came across what some would call excessive reassurance seeking. Excessive reassurance seeking. Where you subtly and maybe not so subtly kind of fish for compliments. And when, when somebody didn't really notice what you do, well, you kind of throw out some things and you just try to fish for reassurance and you're just excessively seeking other people's reassurance because I need it. There's an addiction there. See, the question is not will I ever seek approval from others because we all seek approval. We all have a, a need to be known and to be approved and be accepted. We all have that. The question isn't will I seek approval from someone. The question is where will I seek the approval? The question isn't, will I? Because all of us have a need, an internal deep need to seek approval and to be accepted by people. The question is, where will you experience approval? and Where will you seek the acceptance from people? Jesus says, if you do your acts of righteousness to be seen by other people in front of other people, well then your reward will to be impressed people. Your reward will be right here. You'll impress some people. Maybe. Maybe you won't. But your reward if you do your acts of righteousness and your good deeds and your things for, for God is just for other people to see, well, then your reward will be temporal and it will be just short-lived. But it never will be enough. And you will always miss out on a truly transformational life, a life that is truly good and satisfying and content and overjoyed and fulfilled and abundant. You will miss out on that. Not because God somehow doesn't want you to have it. Not because He takes it away from you but because you have chosen another kind of reward. 
Because you have chosen to have the reward of just temporal beings here. But can I remind you that fame on earth and fame in heaven are two very different things. Very different things. Jesus is very, actually, really straightforward in this passage. He says, when you live for the approval of other people, when your greatness is defined by what others say about you, then your soul will always be striving and straining for the rest of your days. You will never experience the rest that Jesus comes to offer you. You'll never have satisfaction for your souls. No joy, no contentment will come to to your life. When you live for the approval of other people, and when you live for the fame of, of being recognized and having everybody know all the things that you've done, then you will constantly be striving for more and you will be on the wheel of approval addiction. So how do you push against this? What is Jesus' way to redefine greatness? Well, the first thing is we recognize you don't do it by just trying hard. You don't just do it by deciding, I'm not going to live for other people. You don't do it. We learn to live our life slowly and incrementally before an audience of one. Before an audience of one. And it all begins with listening to who we are in the eyes of God. It all begins by listening to who we are in the eyes of God. We need to replace the lie that we are what people say about us with the truth about what God says about us. We need to replace the lie that we are and our fame and our greatness is defined by what other people say about us, what they can see about us, and we replace it with the truth about who we are in the eyes of God. Who we are in the eyes of God. How does He describe us rather than the world's greatness? In Jesus' baptism, we are told that as He goes into the waters and He comes up out of the waters, that the heavens open up and the voice of God the Father speaks and declares, This is My Son in whom I am well pleased. We're told that as Jesus comes up, the voice of God resonates and people hear the voice of God the Father say, this is my Son. But I want you to notice something. The Father's approval comes well before Jesus does any public act of miracle or teaching or anything else. The Father's approval does not come after Jesus has done a number of things. It's not that after He's done a couple of His speaking circuits. Not that He's written a couple books. He's signed some autographs. Not that He's made it great in the world's eye. The Father's approval comes well before that. Before Jesus had done any single ministry at all, any public teaching, any healing at all, Jesus hears the God from God the Father that this is My Son whom I am well pleased. In other words, God's approval was not dependent on Jesus' actions. God's approval was not dependent on whether Jesus behaved well or whether he was behaving naughty. God's approval was not based on his actions. It was based on his love for him in the eyes of God the Father. This passage we've been meditating on over this series is Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where the Apostle Paul reminds us of the very same thing, how God the Father sees us when he says God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before you could do a single thing for him, before you could be really great or before you could be really not so great, Christ died for you. God's approval over you, God's way He sees you, is not dependent on your actions for Him. It's dependent on how He sees you from His eternal place. So the beginning place of pushing against an addiction of approval is recalling God's love for us. 
to bring that truth to the front of our minds. To replace the lie that I am approved or I'm accepted based on my behaviors or my actions, whether they be good or not so good. And we remind ourselves that God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were still far away and we couldn't do a single thing for Him, Christ died for us. Friends, that is good news. That is good news. I, I pray that you would hear that this morning. That God's approval over you has nothing to do, God's love over you has nothing to do with how well you're behaved or how naughty you are. It has everything to do with who He is. And that makes a world of difference. Makes a world of difference. The second thing we do to push against our addiction to approval is to practice the discipline of obscurity and silence. Obscurity and silence. This is very similar to what Katerina spoke about last week and how she brought an understanding of serving and serving in secret. But we need to learn to, to serve and to care and to live our lives at some levels in obscurity where people don't see us. Where we write anonymous notes of encouragement to somebody. Where we do something good for someone without broadcasting it so the world can know. But let me take it one step further from just simply serving in secret. Let me take it one step further this week that we would learn to practice silence. Silence at times. Maybe this week you would practice silence for an hour. Maybe longer. Because we manipulate how other people think and see us by the way we speak by how we can talk about our, our accomplishments, how we can talk about how well we know everything. So we manipulate people by our words, by what we say. So maybe we need to practice the discipline of obscurity and of silence. Where we simply don't need to manipulate you. I simply learn to not have to change the way you think about me by... My words. By my words. Practicing obscurity and silence will expose our addiction to approval. It will expose it. Because at first, we say, well, that, that's horrible. How, how are people going to know how great I am? I'm never going to get a reward if no one knows all the things that I've done. Practicing silence in this kind of way reminds us of our addiction to approval. Because we need people to know what we've done. We need people to know what we've accomplished we need people to know all how great we are how smart we are or what we know i mean does it even count if nobody knows after people telling after jesus thinks after telling us not to do our righteousness or acts of goodness in front of other people jesus tells this later in matthew chapter 6 he says your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you and the reward that Jesus is talking about is primarily about becoming the kind of person who is increasingly freed from the tyranny of approval addiction. Freed from the tyranny of approval addiction where we can practice obscurity, being off in the shadows where we don't have to claim the spotlight for ourselves. We don't try to use our words to impress people, but we just allow someone else to have the spotlight. We allow God to have the spotlight. 
We don't use our words to impress other people by telling other things or saying all the things we've done, but we learn to practice obscurity by staying in the shadows and by not needing to speak all the time. Third thing we do to push against addiction to approval is the discipline of examine and confession. Examine is practiced whereby we just reflect on our day. At the end of our day, we reflect with some critical questions that kind of stir in our heart. Questions like, in what way was I living for the approval of people today? At the end of our day, we get closer to the end of the day and things are kind of settling down and I just simply examine my day and I ask the question, critically ask the question, in what way was I living for the approval of other people today? Or why did I feel the need to interject and tell an even funnier story when people were around me? Why did I, why did I feel like I needed to speak up there? Why couldn't I be silent and just let someone else shine for a little bit? And as the Lord brings to your mind ways in which you have lived for the approval of other people, you take the next step of simply confession and you just confess it. Confessing is just acknowledging with God that you've done something, that you agree with God. And as the Lord brings to your mind ways in which you have used your words to manipulate other people and when manipulate the ways in which they will see you, you just simply confess it and you ask the Lord for grace, for mercy, for strength to walk in obscurity the next day. The next day. See, greatness in the kingdom, greatness in the kingdom is found when we live for an audience of one where we don't need to clamor for the attention and for the approval of other people but we're learning to live in obscurity where we do the right thing when no one's looking perhaps even especially when no one's looking we practice the discipline of silence because we don't need to manipulate how people see us by our words by proclaiming all the greatness that we've done or how much we know or our great knowledge or anything else and we allow other people most importantly, we pay attention to how might we gain our approval from God Himself when He declares that you are His daughter whom He is well pleased. That you are His son in whom He is well pleased. If we want to have souls that are flourishing and strengthened and surviving in a culture that demands and pressures us to achieve more and to find our value in what we do and what we accomplish, what other people say about us, we are going to need to, need to push aggressively against an addiction to approval. And we need to practice the discipline of obscurity, of silence, and we need to examine our hearts and confess before the Lord. And may He give us grace And may we find, as we learn to live for an audience of one, that that life is truly great and good and abundant and abiding peace and joy. May we find that Jesus' way leads us to eternal life. Well, it's good that we come to the Lord's table this morning. Because as we come to the Lord's table, we're reminded of who we are, that our true value and our worth doesn't lie in our accomplishments or what we do or what other people say, but solely in God's grace poured out on us through Jesus. 
When we come to the table, we come this morning reminding ourselves that we don't live for the glory of ourselves, but we live for the glory of God. We remind ourselves that greatness in the kingdom is when we don't claim the spotlight for ourselves, but we desire to live for the audience of one. We practice open communion at Crossroads, which means if you are a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come and enjoy and participate in this meal. In a moment, you'll be dismissed by the backs of your section by some ushers. They'll dismiss you. You'll kind of come on the right side of your section. You'll kind of come up. There'll be four stations up here. You can take the bread and the cup. And when you take the bread and cup, you follow in the front of your section up the other aisle, kind of up around the aisle this way, and go back to your seats. And you can take the bread and the cup back at your seats and reflect on the goodness of Jesus and what He has done for us. And if you've come this morning with a burden or a prayer or an issue that you need to be lifted up in prayer, then we'll have prayer teams on either side of the aisles up here or on either side of the worship center at the kneeling rails, and we would love to pray for you. We would love to pray over you. We'd love to lay our hands on you if you have a, a physical need for healing. We'd love to pray over you. If you have a, a burden that you have or something that you need to confess and get off of your heart or get off your chest, then we would love to pray with you. We come this morning expecting to experience Jesus. We come expecting to receive from Him what only He can. And we leave from this place reminded that our value and our worth doesn't come from what we do or what we accomplish because fame on earth and fame in heaven are two very different things. It's good for us to pause for a moment of reflection, silent reflection, to consider all the sacredness of this meal. So I'm going to invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes and have a moment of silence before we start and lead into the communion liturgy to just prepare ourselves to receive this morning. If you're serving communion, you can come and get ready at this time. In a moment, we'll lead you through the communion liturgy that will be on the screens.